Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Kate, welcome back to the Australian Finance Podcast. It's good to be back on on this beautiful, sunny Melbourne morning. Yes, which is a rarity at the end of March. So we're, um, we're happy about that. The day is looking good. And we have a great guest with us today to share with listeners. We're really excited about who we've got on today. So Kate, why don't you just give a little bit of an overview of who our special guest is today, and then we'll throw it over to her to tell us her journey and story so far. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we've got some New Zealand listeners out there, and we've never really talked much about sort of the New Zealand side of things, even though there's a lot of crossover. So we've actually got Brooke Roberts on the show today, who is, I believe, the co-founder and co-CEO of Sharesies, which is a fractional investing style platform in New Zealand that's actually coming to Australia soon. So Brooke, I'll hand it over to you. Give a little bit of intro about yourself, your journey into starting Sharesies, because it's gone from sort of a startup to a massive company in New Zealand and just sort of how you got there and what you're up to at the moment. Yeah, sure. And kia ora you too. And thanks so much for having me today. I really appreciate you letting me join this podcast. So yeah, so I started, I joined Sharesies well, we started it in around October 2016. And at that time, there was just so much chat in the media about smashed avocado and like millennials <laughs> not being able to afford housing and kind of all that negative rhetoric that really felt like there was not much opportunity to get ahead or like hit, really develop your wealth or feel like you could even have a concept such as wealth development. And I had a career in finance and banking and then growth Tech, so uh, like working at zero and had really cool experiences there. But when I was studying finance and when I was working in banking, I just learned so many things that, you know, learned the concepts behind some jargon out there and, and learned all this stuff. I was like, oh, m- more people need to know this, like that you can negotiate term deposit rates and mortgage rates. Like, I don't think m- many people know that, mm. you know, and why there's like this, like, there's a lot of disinformation out there or uh, a lot of information that's not readily available or like, and it just didn't seem that fair. And so there's actually six of us that founded Sharesies and uh, the original idea came from one of the other co-founders, Sonia, who was like, had $50 and she's like, I just wish I could invest $50 every week in in a fun way and feel like I could get ahead rather than just feel like all I've got is to spend it on dinner or it's just, you know, like it's just not going to do much for me. And, um, and she got talking to Layden, who's another co-founder who actually started an investment club with 13 of his friends when he was 17 years old, putting $50 away each week. And they, they just put $50 away each week. And like at that time there wasn't investment platforms like there are today. So it was going to a bank account and then they were able to save up some money to buy a cow and then a herd of cows because they're in <laughs> regional areas of New Zealand. And then, you know, and it's exploded into commercial property and a sustainable chicken farm in the Philippines and all these things, all from starting with $50 each week. Um, and there's a group like keeping each other committed. We're like, whoa, wouldn't it be cool if that if those that was more available to more people where you didn't have to just be Layden's mate to be able to have that opportunity? And that kind of sparked something for us. And 
then we had the other co-founders have developer uh, developers and design experience and we all came together going okay we know that there's an opportunity here uh, and we have this the skills we need to get a, a business off the ground in in this world um you know we, we knew we could do something but we didn't go straight into just creating sharesies we actually spent six months doing pure customer research and diving into do people even want to be an investor what does investing mean to them? How do, how does money play in their lives? Do they have positive or negative relationships with it? Like, what does superannuation mean to them? Do they feel like an investor with that? And we got heaps of rich insight from doing real ethnographic interviews. So that's like in-depth one-on-one interviews along with a broad survey to get heaps of insight. And essentially, we learned a lot of things, but I can boil down the four that really stick with me, which is 99.5% of people want to be an investor. So, you know, this is 2016, 2017, like people wanted to be an investor. They wanted to feel like that's an ambition, you know, um, it, it's something they wanted, but they felt like they couldn't because the three key things, they felt priced out that you needed to have heaps of money or needed to invest, you know, heaps of money and even to just get started, jargoned out. Like there's so much jargon in the finance world. It felt like, oh, I need to know heaps. I needed a degree in that to even, you know, get started and, Nobody really speaks in everyday language. I didn't feel like that anyway. And then left out that the financial institutions were for the wealthy few or, you know, the information wasn't well spread. And so a lot of people felt left out of even being able to be an investor. And so uh, we, from all of that research, we got even stronger around our ethos of that everyone deserves an equal opportunity to grow their wealth. And um, that really fueled us to kickstart sharesies. And um, from that, we kicked into it. And so, and then launched Sharesies in May 2017. And from six of us starting it to now a team of 130 of us who, and we now have over 340,000 investors on our platform who have invested over a billion dollars. And we've removed that price barrier. So that's why we've really made sure and we've brought that innovation where the minimum investment is one cent. So in anything you invest in to make sure that it really, really is accessible in that way. We do jargon as much as possible and really speak in everyday language. And we build a platform that's really, really inclusive. And that's what we always aim to do to make sure that anyone can feel welcome on Sharesies and feel like it's for them. It's such an incredible journey. And it's been pretty quick too, right? It may not seem like it to you guys, but us hearing it from the outside, to hear that you know over 300,000 investors use it in five or six years is pretty incredible. So well done, I guess. But one thing that I'm always interested in, Brooke, as an investor is, you know, that first six month period before you launch the platform, I'm guessing, uh, you're doing the research. Was that just you guys just in a co-working space or remotely just researching and writing like initial lines of code or like what what, what actually happened in that first six months? Because I feel like that crucial, it would have been crucial to where you are today. Because a lot of businesses wouldn't take that time, right? Yeah. So we um, we were still in our other jobs, but we were doing. We spent six months doing as much as we can, just research. So we didn't start building or prototyping, or it really right. for that. Part of the research near the end, though, was kind of testing hand drawn images of if this if it was like this, would that help? You know. So we did start to get more into prototyping, but essentially, we just really wanted to listen and knew that like we were creating a company, not a product. So we wanted to be like deeply enriched in these stories and these insights um, to to know that that's a really solid foundation to build off, but also to know that there is something here that is worth, you know, like quitting our jobs and 
diving mm-hmm. into. And honestly, the more and more we talk to people, the more and more we realized we really needed to do that. And there was um, such an opportunity for a big disruption and transformation in this area. And so it, by the end of that research or near the end, we were like, you know, the risk of not doing it seemed way bigger than the risk of, you know, I'm giving sure. it a job and all that sort of jazz. So yeah. And then from there, we actually were in an incubator um, for a few months, where, which enabled us to have a, Leighton, Sonia and I, we're the three founders that went full time to kick off, where we had a place to work and um, just dive into making jerseys happen. And we gave ourselves, um, we said, we've got three months to get a product off the ground that uh, meets what we hear we is needed. And also that meets the regulatory requirements. And so we set out to do that and haven't looked back ever since. <laughs> oh, well done. Well done. Um, one of the questions that we wanted to know is what's the, the big difference between, I guess, the New Zealand market and the Australian market? I noticed on the website, like brokerage, um, as we know it in Australia, from you guys is, is very low because it's kind of bundled into a subscription. What would you say is going to be your unique edge here in Australia? Like that's a question we ask investors, right? But I'm asking you as like a business. I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm, I'm keen to hear. <laughs> yeah. So I think what we wanted to make, we always knew that we that there was an opportunity in Australia and we've always planned to uh, come over there and see how we can um, support more people f- having feeling financially empowered and access to investing and and wealth development and i think what i've been surprised at is how many similarities there are you've got rising house prices that become more and more accessible inaccessible or feel more inaccessible for a lot of people you've got you know like those same sentiments of priced out jagged up and left out seem to keep resonating uh, from the research we've been doing for a while now in australia so there's actually a lot of similarities i think you know, what's different for us is, uh, no, we, when we launched here, we were the first people doing this in New Zealand. And we won't be the first in Australia, but we will be the first in the way that we're doing it, uh, which is quite exciting. I think key areas is wh- where we differentiate is we don't only care about making sure people have access to investing. We really care about helping ma- ensure that people are becoming confident and motivated investors. So they feel like an investor is really important. They're in control. They're making the decision. They feel like an investor and they feel informed and they feel like they're building their confidence with how the markets work and they can really learn by doing. And I think that's really, really important to why we created Sharesies and, and how we want investors to like build that confidence. We also are a B Corp too. So it means that we're a business that uh, puts our purpose, we're for purpose and profit. So at the heart of everything we do, we want to make sure we're creating a financially empowered generation. And when I say generation, it's not age. It's like people who want to engage with their money in a digital way. And that's that's where we can really support. And that's what we focus on. And we want to give someone with $5 and $5 million the same investment opportunities. Hence why we take away the minimum and we've um, introduced fractional investing and things like that. So it is really, really accessible. And we're a business that really cares about having a positive impact on our customers, so the investors, the community and our environment. And I think um, that's really core to who we are and what we stand for too. And one of the things that you mentioned there is a B Corp. We've just put the finishing touches on an ethical investing course, a free ethical investing course. And not many people know, I believe, about B Corps and what it means. So thanks for kind of clearing that up for us. I know it's not an easy process to go through as a business as well. So yeah, it's it's an important thing. And I, I love the mission that you guys, like I was, I was on the website this morning and I was traversing between the, the Australian and the Kiwi sharesies and then um, going to like your social pages as well. And the message is the same across 
all of the portals. But that, like, that cohesion in the brand is something that I guess we look for. Um, like Kate and I, we look at and we think, you know, is this business actually, like, does it have a common goal and what are its values? And it's very easy to distinguish those from, from your communication. So good job there. I think, Kate, you wanted to ask something. Um, I know you've got some family in New Zealand, right? Yes. Yes. So I, I'm not sure if any of them listen to the podcast, but I do have half my family in New Zealand. Sadly, I haven't seen them for a while, but we've also lucky, we're lucky to have some Kiwi listeners to the podcast. So I, we haven't really ever talked about it before, but I was wondering if you could maybe briefly touch on some of the, the key points of difference between the New Zealand and the Australian investment markets. I know you've got the New Zealand Stock Exchange and things like KiwiSavers. So maybe just some of the high level differences that maybe people should know about. Yeah, I think, again, like you talk about, we've got an exchange in New Zealand, the New Zealand Stock Exchange. Australia's got the Australian Stock Exchange. You know, we have hundreds of companies on our platform you've, uh, on our exchange and you've got thousands over there. So this the scale's kind of different um, to, uh, to start um, with a difference. Yeah, we have KiwiSaver, which is our superannuation, and it is similar, but different percentages go into that. So I think what we see is there seems to be more of a knowledge around um, superannuation, especially because in Australia, you've got the opportunity to manage some of your own superannuation. We are here, that isn't the case as much. There's some potential there, but not as well known as in Australia. And yeah, so that's a kind of difference in the superannuation space. But really, you know, like the same kind of mechanics are there. You know, we've got exchange-headed funds, managed funds. We've got listed companies. I think, you know, the the it is pretty similar to a lot of, yeah, I would say there's a lot more similarities and differences. Mm. I remember looking last year and from what I saw, the New Zealand Stock Exchange also owns its own exchange-traded funds as well. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like it had quite a monopoly on the market over there. Yeah, so the New Zealand Stock Exchange, yeah, they have smart shares which they own, and I think they do what they can inside to make sure that it is um, separate because uh, they're also listed on the New Zealand Stock Exchange, just like the Australian Stock yeah. Exchange, just on the Australian Stock Exchange. So I think they have to make sure internally that they've got really good kind of walls around it, so that when, when they're the regulator versus when they're kind of yeah got their products on their regulated product, I guess. Mm. I guess it's a bit different to here, right? Where we um, where we have at least five really high-profile ETF providers, um, global ETF providers in many instances. One of the things that I guess is going to be really interesting for our conversation, Brooke, is what has been successful for you guys in New Zealand and how you're going to bring that to Australia. And I think the thing that finance people get so wrong, and particularly investing people, is how you make investing personal mm. insofar as like how do you make it emotional and how do you make it fun and exciting the technical stuff is one thing, like making it accessible, having the option to open a brokerage account really easily, all those types of things. Really, like they're the technical things. But how about when it comes to overcoming barriers for people? Like what has worked well in New Zealand and what kind of lessons can you apply to Australia? And, and for listeners too, that might be trying to under- overcome some of those barriers internally. Yeah, I think there's such an array of things um, that we've done and, and still to do. But I think when I think back to when we launched New Zealand, I remember, you know, we were thinking, how can we make investing as easy as online shopping? You know, helping people be able to invest in a digital way. How can we make it as easy, but also make sure they're well informed too? And so they know, you know, like compared to online shopping, you know what size you're buying, you know, the return policy, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like what's the key information, the description of it, the color, you know, 
like, yep, that's, that's the item I want. And then how do we make it yeah, as easy as that? And so making investing really easy was really, really important. And then, or, and making sure that information around investing was really easy to understand. So you could feel informed and feel confident in that decision and your investment. I think another important part is removing those price barriers when it comes to investing. And you'll see like, even the way that we price things, we make sure that it's like, it scales with how much you're investing rather than some kind of flat fees and stuff where that might not work for people who are wanting to learn as they go. And so that's been important to us too. We have, we build out a lot of, I guess what you would call educational content, but just breaking down key concepts, say like dollar cost averaging, what is that? You know, we'll have a video on that. We'll have a blog and we'll make sure that's really clear. And when people are joining Sharesies, you know, they really get the philosophy behind it, which is um, time in the market, not timing the market, building your portfolio one paid at a time with amounts you can afford and like building your confidence too. And we have an array of investors on our platform from people who are just getting started to people who have been investing for ages who just want to do have their portfolio all in one place and easy to access and, you know, and be able to trade how they want to. So yeah, I think there's just so much I could talk about in there. <laughs> how about then, I guess one thing, I'm quite close with a couple of founders here in Australia that have built apps and um, investing tools. And one of the things that they get to see behind the scenes and they've been kind enough to show me is kind of the differences across the demographics. How about in terms of your audience, you say you want to make investing as easy as online shopping. Have you found that more women have been drawn to that relative to say other brokerage platforms or like other ways to invest even? Um, like, Are there any kind of things that, you can, that you've noticed within that user base that you've got so far? I think this speaks to that, you know, Barry is talking about, about left out, you know, where a lot of people have felt left out of investing or left out of financial opportunities. And so that is something we wanted to remove too, is, is that barrier. And so we really work on making sure we are creating an inclusive platform where anyone can feel like they're an investor uh, or, and can become an investor. And so, yeah, on our platform, we are likely to have more females than other platforms. I don't have other all the other platform stats, but what I do know is the percentages from, you know, the, a com- the country's perspective. And I think, you know, in both countries, we'll really make sure that we are creating an equitable platform when it comes to female and males investing. But yeah, I, I really want to um, make sure that like, we are creating an inclusive platform and that means it's not exclusive. And so we think about heaps of ways that we can make sure investing feels really accessible to a lot of communities. And that means, you know, sometimes changing how investing is done too, to make sure it is inclusive. I think it's really, really important. And the way that we, yeah, communicate too, that it feels like it's for everyone. And um, that's something that we've always put a lot of emphasis on and will continue to, I think. And so that's, that's really important that we break down that barrier too. Have you noticed any sort of differences between demographics in sort of risk profiles? Because I know from what I looked at your platform, you can pick your risk profile and Mm -hmm. the type of investment products that people are using, maybe between ages and genders as well. Yeah. So in New Zealand, we have people from zero to 97 years old. So we've got kids accounts here too. And in Australia to start with, it will be for um, over 16, but we'll work on that. And uh, yeah, so nine, like up to 97 year, years old, you know, there's just a range of behaviors and ways of investing or ways mm. people think about investing from, you know, really investing based on their values to um, investing based on the companies they care about to investing 
and like what they're hearing and and you know it's just you know what it's like from these these podcasts I'm hearing too you know like there's so many different ways that people like to invest and that's great and we wanted to create a platform that you can invest the way you like but we're really set up to people to build their portfolio one pay at a time with amounts they can afford so that's really important to us and then in terms of like differences in the way, you know, often you would hear, oh, women don't invest because they've got low risk tolerance or, you know, things like that. Where it's actually like, if we go back to that left out statement, that's really, really important. When you've had generations of feeling like left out of being able to have access to financial, um, even conversations, you know, or, um, or you know, advice or that hasn't been taught to you and all these sort of things. It's like, well, of course there's the, you know, we, we see research too, that there's a difference in kind of confidence around investing. Uh, and it's kind of, it is really systemic rather than on an individual, I think. And so that's the lens that we look at things to say, like, okay, cool. We need to make sure that this is clear information shared with everyone, you know, and everyone can be on an equal footing or, or start to ensure that can happen. So I wouldn't say, I think everybody's individual and unique in the way that they invest or, or how they want to. Uh, and they have, you know, their own goals in terms of what they're trying to achieve with investing um, or wealth development. And I think that's great. And that can vary by age and gender and but anybody. It's really unique, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does indeed. And I, I guess I'm just personally, I'm excited to see the kind of next generation of platforms that emerge and are already emerging because I sound really old now, uh, but when I was when I started back when I started, which is around about ten years ago, maybe a little bit more or less, platforms were like they were clunky, they were expensive, they were like become the ultimate trader, and you'd have things like really high fees for a thousand dollar trades, and you know, it'd be like the the dragon platform. Like I'm doing air quotes, no one can see this, but um, like there would be these ridiculous things, right? And just in that. Of itself, the way we interact with something and the design of something is so important. And I think you've kind of made it just from looking at the website, the tools you have available, you've made it open to everyone. So I think that's a really, really good thing. And I, I'm excited to see where it goes over the next five years and the impact that ha- that has indirectly. But one of the things that we talk about a lot, Brooke, is this idea of kind of financial wellness. And I guess. Where do you see the challenges and your responsibility there? Like, what are you trying to change and how do you, I guess, if it's just a simple question of like, how do you define financial wellness and how does investing factor into that? Yeah. If I go back to that research we did early on, but continually find out and the same that we're finding out in Australia is, you know, in Australia is that money can be a big source of stress for a lot of people. And we really learned that in our research and when you look into that, there's a myriad of things, but that feeling of being able to get ahead or feeling like you can build your wealth or develop it was, you know, was really important to helping switch that. And so what we set out to do is we want to create the positive space around money, a safe, positive space where, you know, once you have access to investing and you feel like you can invest with amounts you can afford, then like, then it helps trigger all these kind of thoughts in you. Like, oh, well, if I budgeted this or did that differently, maybe I could invest more. Maybe I could reach this goal quicker, you know? And all of that happens from like a positive mindset rather than this like, it feels like there's a barrage of negativity out there from a media perspective in terms of you you can't get ahead, you know? It's going up, it's going up, you're missing out, you know? To um, just not really knowing how to start. And, And I think, so that's the area that we really wanted to help shape. It's like, we know that as soon as you have access to investing and you can do it with an amount you can afford, like, it can start unraveling some of those things in a positive way and start moving towards being able to really develop your wealth and feeling like you can get ahead of it. So that was important to us. 
and 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 really a big insight from that research. And the other part was like there's a lot of taboo around money, a lot of what we say, fuck a mile, shame around money, which is like that you you're and that is something that we wanted to help change too. And that's why, you know, we have our say our Facebook group like share club where we want people to be able to sh- share insights with each other or like and we hear that a lot in terms of families now around the dinner table talking about shares you know this is stuff that I never got growing up I don't know if many of us have and it's great to see more and more like communities being able to talk about it or kids at school um thinking about investing in shares and it, we're in a world now where it doesn't you, it doesn't mean you have heaps of money it doesn't you know it's not about the amount it's about anymore, which is great. You can just have these conversations. And I think removing that taboo around money and sharing this information that has been quite locked up, it feels like, or not as accessible to everyone. As as soon as you start to see that, those conversations happen more and that enables more learning, more insight into investing or money and wealth development, and ultimately starts to move the momentum forward. And so that's the area that I see Sharesies playing um, in around financial wealth and wellness is like, bringing that positive hope perspective uh, and really helping on that wealth development journey and being a place where it feels safe to get started, to feels great in terms of you're already established an investor and you've got your portfolio in place and now you feel like you can help others have a common language and understanding around investing too. And I think I see, I've seen some of that momentum already and that's really exciting. I always get so excited when I hear listeners tell us that they just had the conversation about money and finance with their friends or family for the first time because that's sort of that first step for a lot of people's journey. It's they had a conversation with somebody. So I think that having an accessible platform is a massive part of that because if you only need one cent, then anyone can be an investor and then it's getting to that point where you feel like one too. And that can sometimes be a bit of a journey for people. I was wondering if you had some maybe some tips or suggestions if you if someone is listening and they have they want to talk to a friend or family about finance and investing and maybe they've never had that conversation before because so many of us haven't had that conversation with family and friends growing up how do you sort of go about that conversation what's the best way to approach it I think you know it is it is unique based on your relationship and situation with people but I think you know, some things that come to mind is just sharing what you're doing is quite important. And again, it's not like I've invested this much. It's just like, oh, I saw this the other day, or I've got this, had access to this, or I heard this in the news. What do you think about that? You know, and starting those conversations, which is really cool and get some different insights to going, you know, to when people are getting started investing. And if you feel like you've learned that some things on your investment journey, like sharing a bit about that, like, oh, I've diversified for, you know, I've invested in a range of things because I wanted to make sure I was spreading my risk or something. And just sharing those those insights is really important. And you definitely don't have to give, like, you've got to be very wary around financial advice or giving that, but it's just more about if there's more common language around this and more sharing and more um, conversations that ultimately empowers a lot more people. So I think, don't be afraid to bring up these conversations. And I think in this, um, and now with the technology available today, I think a lot of the shame was that you felt like people thought you would have heaps of money or you knew heaps or something like that, you know? And that's where this conversation been guarded or people get guarded because they're like, oh, I don't know much about this. I don't, you know? Where now it doesn't have to be that way. And you can be really open about the areas you don't know much about. You're like, oh, I'm learning a bit about this at the moment. Or I've seen this and I, I wanted to, you know, dollar cost averaging, what is that? And is, you know, does this resonate with you? Have you heard of this before? Do you know what the, do you know why it's really important? 
I, I think a really interesting concept I'd love more people to understand is that time value of money. We're um, so compounding returns and compounding interest and really realizing the power of time. It's not about how much, as much as like just how much time you have, a, a, you know, in investing. And like if you start early with amounts you can afford and build that over time, like what that can grow into and what opportunities that can create for you is is pretty incredible. And I think that is a really powerful concept that and kind of force out there that it would be really good for more people to know. Mm, and I guess for a lot of people, they don't come across the idea of compound interest. Well, certainly I didn't until someone talked to me about it and showed me the Money Smart Compound Interest Calculator many years ago, which is our sort of yeah ASIC website. But um, yeah, what about, I know you mentioned sort of being careful about giving financial advice. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons sometimes people don't talk about money is when they a friend hears they're learning about investing or trying their hand at buying some stocks and then they go, oh, what should I invest in or what should I do? And some people are very happy to rattle off um, their hot stock tip, which we're always warning listeners to be wary of. But what about someone who wants to, maybe they're still learning themselves and how's the best way to answer that question when someone goes, oh, you're learning about investing in finance. What should I do with my money? Yeah, I think it's really um like you mentioned that they're new to investing is talk about those those concepts of dollar cost averaging. So building a portfolio over time, that time in the market and that diversification and, and understanding their risk. And I think, and then, you know, there are platforms and, and sites out there that can provide more information. I know, you know, like I think that that, that is just really helpful to help people get started to go, you know, share some learnings that they've had, but it's not, yeah, I think it's really important to help it not seem hard and laborious and you need to know heaps, but arm them with some insight that can really help them navigate the investing platforms that are out there or or the or where to where to first kind of look. Yeah. Giving them the map, not the end destination essentially. Yeah, yeah. And and then they can invest in what they care about. And it will be different and they'll have different financial background or, you know, situations. So it's important that that's taken into account there. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, Brooke, is if someone walks up to you or they meet you, you say you're out for dinner and you're meeting new friends, how do you explain to them what you do? When, when they say to you, oh, nice to meet you, Brooke, what do you do? How do you describe what you do? What, we do, what I do at Sharesies? Or just, yeah, what do you do for a job? Like, what is your occupation? Like, what is your career? Like, what do you do? Yeah. So I'm a co-founder and a 3EO here at Sharesies. So there's three of us that kind of, um, the three founders I was telling you about. So Leighton, Sonia and I, we are directors and also three EOs. So we share that executive officer component. But essentially what I think I do is, you know, I help lead and drive um, Sharesies to create the most financially empowered generation. And when I see, say, lead and drive, I really mean like I am uh, support the team wherever they need to help make decisions to help us get there to really listen to uh, potential investors and current investors and really um, help create the vision of where we where where this financial world could be and where we can do more in wealth development and bring that in and help shape that. So, oh, there's such a bunch of what, what I do. But, you know, what Sharesies does is we, we really make investing really, really accessible and help build confidence to motivate investors and provide access to the Australian Stock Exchange, the New Zealand Stock Exchange and three of the US exchanges, all with all the investment minimums at, at one cent. 
Well, the Australian Stock Exchange is coming in a couple of weeks anyway. But. <laughs> That's great. I um, it's just a, it's an interesting thing, right? Because it's quit. It's pretty easy to bamboozle people when you say, "Yeah, I, I'm in investing. I do this. I do this." And then you, then they're like, they look at you funny, and then you just say stock market, and they're like, "Oh, I get it now." <laughs> so, but it's it's not the right way to think about it. I think I think like you talked about like kind of like your vision there is the way that you define what you do, which is I think a really powerful way to to do it. Like we spoke about this last week. Kate, where we talk about kind of like the vision more so than our occupation. And I think mm. that's a really interesting way to talk about what you do. And I think it applies to shares as well. Kate, I know there's one more like technical question that you have for Brooke, which is a good one because I know a lot of our audience uh, and listener base, this resonates with them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I know Owen's been working on his elevator pitch skills in the recent weeks. So, <laughs> um, so the last one I wanted to talk a little bit is about automated investing, which I know that Sharesies gives you the functionality to do that. And we've talked a little bit before on the podcast about how it's such an important tool to build long-term wealth. But I was wondering if you had some ideas for how people can build automated investing strategies in their um, as part of their personal finance journey. Yeah. So on Sharesies um, in New Zealand, and it will come to Australia as soon as we can, it, we've got this um, feature called Auto Invest, where we have uh, pre-selected portfolios that people can invest in. And so you can choose to either invest in a sustainable um, portfolio. So that's got a range of exchange traded funds in there that ha- have an ethical lens or a sustainable lens on them. We've got a global Auto Invest portfolio, which is where you can invest in a uh, exchange traded funds that you know are exposed to different areas of the globe. And then we have we also have a kids portfolio here in New Zealand, and that is. Um, for the exchange traded funds that take into account a bit more of the kids' tax situation of it. And then there's also a DIY where you can build your own auto-invest portfolio from a range of investment exchange traded funds. And essentially you can be like, cool, I want to invest in these ones and I want to put five bucks away each week or I want to put $50 away a fortnight or something. And then that will automatically invest and kind of top up your wallet. So we've got a feature like that for our New Zealand platform and we'll look at bringing that into Australia too. And so that's one way to essentially do that, essentially like have a portfolio that builds over time. Other ways obviously is that you go into um, a platform like Sharesies and you go in regularly and pick the investments you want to invest in. But I, I, yeah, like we set out to make sure that people could build their portfolio over time and then have access to a range of investment options too, so they can choose when they want to invest in other things and companies in particular. So yeah. Um, does that answer that question? Yeah, I think it's a pretty new feature in the Australian market. I think I've only seen one other brokerage account actually offer that automated feature, which is even cooler than having to put a calendar reminder in your diary yeah. each month to go and invest, which is usually what we suggest to people because that's kind of the only option up to this date. But it just takes the friction completely out of it. If you've worked out your strategy that maybe you review once or twice a year, and the fact yeah. that it can happen without you even having to think about it is amazing for building long-term wealth. Yeah. I think it's important, like part of a portfolio. And then I really like people having the ownership or ability to choose to, or like, you know, like, and add to that if they like to. So it's good to have both options, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, automated investing, particularly for ETFs. It's just makes so much sense because it's, it's uh, the fast track to dollar cost averaging, as you said, and just kind of accumulating investments rather than timing the market. So it's just a no-brainer, for, especially for newer investors that are getting used to the emotions of markets. Just keep your money invested and just keep adding. Brooke, yeah, thank you for this conversation today. Um, I know people can go and check out 
either of your websites, whether you're in New Zealand, you can check out sharesies.nz. And in Australia, it's sharesies.com.au, I believe. And uh, there's heaps of information on there. There's a blog. So you can find out more about the business, find out more about, I'm not sure if there's a uh, blog on Newbrook, but we'll put a link in the in the description so you can go to the team page and see and the mission page and see exactly what Sharesies are trying to do here in Australia and what they've done in, in New Zealand. So Brooke, thanks for taking the time out on the program today. Maybe when you come to Australia, we can have you back for round two oh, and we lovely. can see how things go. But yeah, as I said, we'll put all the show notes in for this episode. So check them out, Sharesies. Brooke, thanks for taking the time out. And Kate, as always, thanks for joining me on the Australian Finance Podcast. Thanks so much, Kate. No one really appreciate it. Great chat. Cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au.